1: We had a question from Robert Bishop who says, Can you name some of your favorite unsung heroes of Notre Dame football in your lifetime? That's well, a fun we question.
2: Of, we kind of talked about it a little bit, Ryan, with um you know, with one of them being most of all, just never gets enough so love for cool. how good he was in 2015. I-
1: Chris Brown was one of those guys for me too. It was like, Chris Brown was a really solid football player and no one ever talked about him. Dude, you know? he made,
2: that <laughs> catch he made against BC in 2015 yeah. was phenomenal. Made the yeah. money play against Oklahoma. Oklahoma just tied that game up. Chris Brown has two catches as a freshman. And that was one of them. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, Lee Beckton was one for me that I always thought was, 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 you know, an, a bit of an unsung hero with some, yeah. I was watching a game to me. You know, who's a very unsung hero for me in 2017. Alex bars continues to get very overlooked for how good he was on the off. I made a nine minute highlight tape for Alex bars that year, Ryan, a guard who wasn't even their best guard. Yeah. And he had some may, I mean, the, the long run against NC state for touchdown was behind Alex. The 80 yard touchdown against USC was behind Alex. He was a really good player. Like, yes, you had a great left side of the line, but, You went from the Colin McGovern, Mark Harrell at right guard in 2016 to Alex Bars in 2017 was a huge improvement. And unfortunately, like Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey, were able to handle the right tackle position. But Alex Bars was a really good football player prior to his knee injury in 2018.
1: I think there's been a bunch of safeties that were super unsung. Like yeah. Zeke Mata, I felt it was a yeah. guy that didn't get enough credit. Chimideng on that 2012 team? way yeah. was a guy that I think didn't get enough credit. Chining. Elijah bait was even a guy that I thought didn't yeah. get enough credit. Like, he was a good football player, man. Yeah. No one talked about him, though.
2: Yeah, there's been guys like that. Um, trying to think over the years, some different players. I They've just been so bad, it's kind of like, well, you can't be an unsung hero on a team. That's, you can't be a hero on a team that sucks. There's right. been a lot of
1: bad years. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a couple of tight ends too. Like I, I thought that Anthony Fasano was a little bit taken away from because he played with Samargin, Stovall, and all those guys. And Brady, you know, yeah, like Darius Walker, player, man.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. That's a yeah. good one. Uh, I look back at at the 2018 team, and I've thought about like who are some of the unsung heroes on that team, and I and I I think Chris Fink is one. Just go on. Yeah. I think people really discount how good Chris Fink was on that football team. And and especially he think you talk about big moments. And yep. that cu- touchdown catch against Michigan was brilliant. The offense is sputtering in the first half. Chris Fink goes off. He has seven catches for over 100 yards. I mean, people forget 2018 USC jumped on Notre Dame 10 0 in the Coliseum. Right. Yeah. And Chris Fink made some huge plays. That corner route catch that first of all, that was the best ball Ian Book ever threw. Like ever threw. It was a great throw. Yeah, and but it was also a great catch. It was one of those ones, Ryan. Like you can't complete it if it's not a great throw and a great catch. And I think Chris Fink is a guy that that gets very much overlooked for how good he was that last season for Notre Dame. Yeah. He was a
1: really good player that year. Great compliment to those other two outside guys, in my opinion. I think Sam Mustafer to a degree too, because yeah. he played with so many great offensive linemen, and he also had kind of a rough start to his career. But by the end, you're like that guy yeah. was one of the better centers in college football. And very no steady football <laughs>
2: player yeah very st- my my concern with him was I just didn't think he was that good in 2018 like yeah. 2017 though he was really good I thought he regressed a little in 2018 which is I think partly why he got went undrafted is because his 2018 film wasn't as good as his 2017 film
1: but yeah he's not a big good football too, player doesn't really yeah. have like that position flexibility yeah. you know what I mean so yeah. it's kind of a tough kid way. though Sam's yeah.
2: a tough kid oh sure no was. doubt
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: If you're stressed about buying tickets or doing some last-minute ticket hunting to college football games, concerts, comedy shows, your favorite activities, Game Time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code Irish for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Irish for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's GameTime.co. Here's I'm going to ask this one, Ryan, because this is more uh, of a question for you, NFL question. Uh, an indie Nerd asks, which running back and wide receiver has the most NFL potential?
1: Running back's so tough. I mean, just for uh, God given ability, I would say probably Jeremiah Love or Jadarian Price. I mean, you could convince me on either one. I, I, I would probably lean. shit. My impulse was to Jeremiah Love just because I think he's kind of more of the modern running back, right? As far as his ability to catch the football and do that kind of like positionless stuff at times. But Janarian Price can do some of that stuff too. So I don't yeah. think that's like a huge separator. So I, either one's a good answer, I think. Wide receiver, I just got given ability. It's Deion Colsey, Braylon James, or Tobias Merriweather. Like they're the three guys for me. I would probably lean Braylon James just because he, I think he has the most raw untapped potential. But I mean, I, as of what we know so far, I would probably go to Tobias Merriweather because you at least have seen it a little bit.
2: If Tobias can get stronger, he he's yeah. my pick. That's my only concern about Tobias, and he's a sophomore, so I'm not overly concerned about it now. But over the next, yeah. can he add ten pounds and you know, fifteen? Yeah, and and yeah. just play stronger because he's a really good route runner. He's got good speed. He's got good, really strong hands. He's just not. Uh, he's got really good hands. He's just not strong right now. Yeah. Yep. and so that would be where where Braylon's actually pretty strong. Like that's a very underrated part of Braylon. Braylon's a strong yep. young kid.
1: He's had a lot of weight this off season too. Yes, so, yes. Yeah.
2: Tobias to me, if he can add the strength, is still that that guy for me. uh, If we just talk about potential, now I will say who's got the most NFL game. My answer changes if somehow the Notre Dame strength staff can add about a tenth of a second on to Jaden Greathouse's forty yard dash time. Yeah, that changes.
1: Still think he's like me. a easy slot at the next level, yeah. though, you know? It's like, yeah. big slot, go ahead. Well,
2: <laughs> right. That's floor, though. My whole point is, yeah. if it's talking about NFL potential, if all of a sudden you take a tenth of a second off of him, now all of a sudden he gets into that, okay, that dude. Because what was the only reason I didn't have him? For me, this is for me. The only mm-hmm. reason I didn't have Jaden as like a, a, a higher-ranked guy on the board. I, I mean, I gave him five-star upside based on college production because I see him sure. being just a – big time volume guy but if i'm talking about projecting him to the next level my big knock on him is does he really have that great like that game changing speed sure i don't think he has that he's not slow by any stretch at all he's not like a four eight out there right people you know but if you all of a sudden could take a tenth of a second off of that with all the other traits he has how do you guard that guy ryan seriously now all of a sudden he can beat you on posts and goes how do you guard that guy because the only hope you have now really is to just sit on him And just say, well, I'm not worried about him running by me. I'm just going to sit on whatever he's going to do. That's the only hope you have.
1: He's so strong, though, man. Even when you sit on him, it's like he's still going to make the cash. You just might (laughs) not cradle. a lot. That's why I said the (laughs) only hope you have. Not That's (laughs) the way to stop him. (laughs) Right? So, yeah. 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 He might be the strongest receiver they have right now, which is crazy. As a true freshman. I mean, no hyperbole involved. He might be the strongest receiver on the roster right now. Yeah. Yep. All right, here's uh, here's one. JHT 1988, who says, "How do you see the new running running clock rules affecting Notre Dame versus Navy? Seems like Navy could kill tons of clock to shorten the game." It, it all fun.
2: depends on how good your defense plays. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the deal, guys. No team can control the clock against you if you're getting stops. It's not possible because yeah. you're getting off the field. You know, so the 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 other part of it too, Ryan. Part part two to that is how does Notre Dame offense playing? Because if sometimes limited possessions can be your kryptonite too, right? Like this is the thing is yeah. is if Navy's running the clock out, let's say Navy gets the ball first and they go down forever and just take seven minutes off the clock and get a field goal. Notre goes down the field and scores a touchdown. And then Navy goes down the field, takes another seven minutes off the clock, so eight, nine minutes off the clock, and they turn it over on downs. Notre goes down and scores a touchdown. And it's end of half. Notre Dame starts the third quarter off with the ball, goes down and scores, and such. That's twenty to three. You just screwed yourself by ru- running the clock out in the first half because now you don't have enough time to get three scores against Notre yeah. Dame. You're done. Now you got to come out of your game plan, and that's where Notre Dame puts you away, right? So, it again, it all comes down to is Notre Dame getting stops? Yeah, If they're getting stops, then it, they're 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 fine. Like to your point, where Notre Dame may win thirty-one to nothing, thirty-one to three, and you're like
1: you scored every time you touch the football Seriously? in that kind of situation. I mean, when I was in high school, we played against two different teams. One ran the triple option, like we would traditional sense, and the other one ran double tight power I. And sometimes double tight double wing, because they were just like, mm-hmm. We suck. We're just going to keep everything condensed. And in those games, you would get five to six possessions. That was all you were going to get. You had to score every time. You had to score every time. If you didn't score once or twice, you're like, oh, you might get a little not great at the end. Mm-hmm. We shall see though. Mm-hmm hate those games, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben Tornowski says, honest question. Are we happy with the state of Notre Dame recruiting currently? Yes, I am. At first it was fine losing the big boys because we were actually recruiting them, but now it seems a little concerning. What's the concerning part? What What gets
2: me is the most recent recruit the Notre Dame landed was a kid that they beat Ohio State and USC for.
1: Yes,
2: yes. They're they're about to beat Ohio State for an offensive lineman probably soon, right? Like what? What? uh, Like, Ben, I, I understand that there's a perception out there right now, but I just, I don't deal in re- perception. I deal in reality. And yeah. the reality is, is when I look at this class, I don't care what people rank Cole Mullins as Ryan. Right? I know what I think of them. I don't care what other people rank Bodie Cahoon. I know what I think of him. Right. I don't care what I, I don't care that other people look at Leonard Moore and see a three star because I think those people are nuts. Yeah. You know, like I look at his film and that's what his film tells me. I, so I just don't care about that. When I look at this 24 class, getting Kingston was sort of like it completely changed the game on that on that class. Now, is it perfect? No. Is there room for improvement for the Notre Dame recruiting operation? Absolutely. Have they upped the game in a big way? Yeah, I think this 24 recruiting class is incredibly – I mean, if Keedron Young was ranked properly – if Micah Gilbert was ranked properly as a top 250 guy, not as a top 100 guy, if Cole Mullins was ranked properly, if Bodie Cahoon was ranked properly, if uh, Leonard Moore was ranked properly, if Styles Prescott was ranked properly, in my opinion, we have a completely different view as fans of this class. We do. And... That's just kind of so so I'm excited about it. I I I getting Kingston though, Ryan was the key. Because if you take him away, all of a sudden the front seven looks way different without him sure. in it. Getting him and Bronte Johnson late in the summer completely changed the outlook of that defensive class. Completely okay. changed it. Cause we were looking at safety, like, man, I don't know what they're gonna do. Right. Because we didn't think they could get Bronte
1: and they and weren't were going to pursue Malcolm Ziggler anymore and yeah there yeah. was a lot going on there.
2: Once so. you got him and then all of a sudden you add you add Kingston to that to me right and this offensive class and, and and I the offensive line class is not elite right now. Yeah. They I'm assuming they're going to get Gearby at this point in time, but even then it's like it's got some potential, but there's it's also some some yeah. question marks. But it was sure. also a bad year offensive line wise. Period. I don't know that they were not, they'd had to pretty much hit the inside straight to have a an offensive line class that met some of their past classes. But you know the receiving loss was was bad. Was was losing Canyon hurt? But man, it's still a really good receiving core. Uh, I like Jack Larson. I think I, I know a lot of fans are down on him. I like Jack, but I think this running back class is phenomenal, and you got a five star yeah. quarterback. Like I just I think the biggest thing that nerding fans are sleeping on is how good this running back class is.
1: Yeah, it's a really good for me. Class. I mean, yeah. I think it's
2: an excellent running back class.
1: I, I think Ben, like it's hard for me to feel down on it too, because like I know you lost Nate Roberts in twenty twenty five. So like that's what people are hyper focusing on a lot, but Notre Dame's in a good spot with a lot of really good 2025 20, kids. So, like, I'm kind of yeah. looking from the inside out. I'm just and like, tight end, I'm just Ryan, is right not right a
2: there. position I'm ever losing sleep over losing a kid. It exactly.
1: Just... And, and everybody knows how high I was on Nate Roberts as a football player. But if you end up getting James Flanagan in another good tight end, like, you're good, guys. You're, like, you're good, man. You're <laughs> like, fine. it's
0: good.
2: I, I think they're in a great position with Deuce Knight. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they're doing – I mean, Owen Striebig is a top That's... 100 player. They're in a great early position with Taylor Taylor. There's a long way to go, as you've pointed sure. out, Ryan, but I would much rather be Notre Dame than most everybody else right now when it comes to Taylor and Taylor. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there, Jadon Blair. They're in a great position. I think – I mean, look, if they just got safety class that visited most recently, Ryan, that's a, that's a gap-closing safety class with Ivan and, Taylor, Ethan Long, and Jadon Blair.
1: Well, the thing is, is that they have a legitimate chance to get that safety yeah. class, which is the wild part, you know? Like, right. The yeah.
2: only – here i'm asking you ryan the only position that as of right now i'm concerned about in 25 as of right now is defensive line just because I don't, I don't it doesn't look like it's they're in a great position with a lot of the better players but yeah. even then if they get davion dixon in like a jarquez carter or oh, juju really
1: juju you know uh um, marks marks that's yeah. a pretty good interior defensive line class man Nah, man. If they if they get if they get that defensive line if they get that interior defensive line class, that's actually really good in my opinion. I think Juju Marks could end up being like a dude. He's, if so, he's developed.
2: Dude, properly, he is man. such a big ball of clay, man. And <laughs> yeah. if you haven't read it, Ryan has a couple has an article. You've actually ran, written a couple in the last couple weeks on Juju, right?
3: Yes. Uh, one yep.
2: with him, I believe, and then you did one yep. also with his, his head coach recently. Yep. Former basketball player, so still a very
1: much a, a work in progress, but dude. You're player. talking like six seven two sixty. Tuesday, uh, he said he's thought the 265 oh, and his coach was like that kid could be 320 easy. oh yeah it's like yeah? oh yeah. yeah yeah but it's so,
2: like you know where are you on the edge that's the only position right now that I have any concern about I mean it's now it's just close on the dudes that are on the board I mean their offensive line class has a chance to be
1: outstanding yeah you know my you know it's when I think the defensive back class for Notre Dame in 2025 is going to be one of the best they've had in a long yeah, time
2: we were we just talked about the safeties. You and I were talking before the show and you did a Ryan did the show yesterday, breaking down the corners. I mean, there's six guys on the board. If you talk about the five that have visited and then throw in Chuck McDonald, you get half, you get three of any of the, any of those three and you got a heck of a cornerback class after yeah. landing. You know, we'll see what Carson Hobbs is. I think you like Carson as a player more than I do. I hope that you're right on just that. Just a little
1: bit. I still think yeah. he has a lot of room to prove though. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think Leonard Moore is a dude. I, I absolutely do. And then you just had Christian Gray and Micah Bell. Like when, yeah. when you just look at the defensive recruiting since Marcus Freeman has showed up, Ryan, it's just, it's night and day. I yeah. mean, it's just night. And day.
1: And the offensive class they have in 2024 is one of the better ones we've seen, especially it, when they get Gerby, you know what I mean? So, like, and, and,
2: and I would argue when you look at the offensive recruiting of just the classes where Marcus Freeman was head coach. So 23 and 24, it's been better than the defensive classes. Yep. Yeah. I think the 2022 the 2022 defensive class that he put together as a coordinator was uh, excellent as well. So I'm actually very, they're not there yet, Ryan, there's still work to be done. Sure. But they're, they're really, it's really good.
1: Yep. I I don't, I don't see how you can make that. Like even the guys that maybe guys aren't super excited about Notre Dame's still taking really talented players though. Right. And if they could develop who cares at the end of the day, what's, I mean, Cole Mullins is a guy that you keep talking about, right, Brian? But, like, who cares what Cole Mullins' r- ranking is now if they can develop Cole Mullins, right, right. or anybody else that they're getting. So, yeah, right. development, I think, is a big thing. But we shall I see. Agree. We had another question from Mr. 2.0 who says, D'Elema McCullough said, Gibran Payne has graded out the highest in camp. Rather than ask about this, his playing time specifically, can you predict carry totals of each Notre Dame's backs this year? Man. I mean I- –
2: I, no, I I really can't because I I just don't know what the mix is going to be run past mix. And again, I go back to an the other earlier thing of I don't want the I don't know what the carry totals are going to look like with the new clock rules. How yeah. many possessions? How many plays are we going to lose? What I'll say is my hope is that Audric Estime gets about 60 to 65 percent of the carries, and I'm talking handoff carries. If he's at 60 percent, I'm comfortable with that. I'm because con- I mean, that there's going to be some blowout carries he's not getting and things like that. And then you can split the other say 35% up between the other guys, and then you're going to have 5% of the carries are like blowout game right. stuff. I'm talking when I say so, when I say 100% of the carries for the backs, 5% of them are just kind of garbage time. I don't really count those. Then you got, you know, 60% for the starter, 35% for the other guys, as far as on the course of a year, 40% in a, in a normal game split those things those other three guys other four guys whatever uh that's fine but i i i would say jabron Payne right now deserves to be the number two back right now i just and i think part of that is because they are bringing jadarian along slowly yep they're just not going to get even if he was the best second best back on the roster right now they're going to bring him along slowly but but what you, what you guys have to understand is Jabron right now is not number two because generic Price has hurt. Jabron Payne's number two right now because he's had a really good spring and a really yeah. good fall camp. Like he's earned right. that spot. Yep. And uh, he's going to be fun. He's going to be a guy that fans, I think, really like.
1: Really this is like. 2.0. It's a great question because I, yeah. as far as like the running back distribution, I have no idea what exactly what to expect. Yeah. And that's, that's the most exciting part is that there's a lot of talented running backs that could eat into carries, which I think is going to be really fun.
2: Yep. All right, let's see here. Let's go with this one. I like this
1: one, Ryan. Tim B says, what, what is missing from Al Golden's defense in year one that he will be able to get rolling in year two? I think
2: the thing for me is the timing of the blitz package is yeah. going to be better in year two. I think that's the most noticeable thing that we're going to see this season. If you're going to point to one tangible aspect, I think that's going to be it. That, that would be on. the biggest thing for me. And I think the other thing that I would, that I hope is, I don't know if this will be, but what I hope is I just, I hope the tackling is better. And this is the point that I made on Wednesday, Ryan, is if the only thing that improves from their Dame last year is they have a 50% improvement in tackling. They're going to be a much better yeah. defense because that means what it means. You don't miss the quarterback in the, in the backfield. It means you take better angles with the football. So you limit the yards after catch the yards after contact, all of a sudden, you become a much better – if you're just a sound tackling team and that's the only thing that you're better at. Because also, partly being a good tackling is you hit the right gap. You know, you're, you're not overrunning – you know, how many times did we see in September last year, Notre Dame's defensive tackles would run past – that's like football 101, right? And you don't run past the level of the quarterback. I mean, because now he's just right. going to step up and go. You get to a certain level and you stomp. Or you try to get to the ball. I mean, how many times we see Jason Adamilo just, like, take a beeline – Like, he was just trying to beat a guy to a spot not actually worry about where the quarterback was. And then Jack Plummer. Jack Plummer stepping up and running on you. You know, like, stuff like that. That, to me, is part of tackling. Because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, If that's the only stuff that gets better, this is a much better defense than it was last season, in
1: my opinion. Got to finish. I think finish is the big thing for me. I mean, and I, I think that's all intertwined, right, is everybody saw the USC game where it was like, you had Caleb, you had him several yeah. times and you just couldn't finish plays. got to finish. Yeah. I hope getting longer and more athletic defensively is going to it helps. mitigate some of those issues. It helps. It helps. Doug Ross said a narrative. I haven't, I haven't seen discussed much during camp is what to expect out of coach Parker as a play caller this year. Talked about it a lot. I feel like, but uh, what are your expectations based on what you have seen and heard thus far?
2: Well, I really I really don't – I mean, practice doesn't give you a good sense of what a coach is going to be as a play caller no. because it's all structured. I mean, it's, hey, today – and this is why I also say sometimes you can't worry about who won or lost the, the practice because the defense may say, hey, we're working on this today. The offense is working on this today. But when you get into a team period, what the defense is working on is set up to stop what the offense is working on. You have practices like that as a coach, Ryan, where you go into a practice, hey, look, here's what we're doing. Here's what gives us problems. I want you to do that because we've got to be able to find solutions to those problems, right? Those you've got to structure practice like that sometimes, you know, where, hey, we're going to run some route combinations that are are kind of her- kryptonite to your coverages. How do your players react? What adjustments do they make? And so there's going to be some of that stuff, too. But uh, it, but it's all structured. There's no pressure. It's like, look, you've already put the practice plan. I mean, what, what that means is, Ryan, I've got a script. So when we go to team, we're going to run 20 plays during team. 60% are going to my first team, 40% to my second team. I've literally got the entire thing. We're going to put the ball on this hash. And the the managers have the script because they know they got to spot the ball here and then spot the ball there and then we spot the ball there. And this is what we're doing. And that doesn't really prepare you for being a play caller. Now that's helping right. your team get prepared and to run stuff. And you know what you like and what you don't like. But play calling is is, is very much, you have. it's part preparation and planning, but also part feel. There's a there's a science to it, but then there's sort of a gut. And this is just man. This is you you see it happening. Like hey, I'm reacting to this, and there's just there's just got to be some of that to it. You can have a great plan, but if you don't know how to counterpunch in the middle of a game, Ryan, eventually they're going to figure you out, and you're going to have nothing to go to. Right. And we've seen that from Notre Dame, and we saw that in 2021 in the Fiesta Bowl. Early on, Notre Dame's defensive game plan was giving Oklahoma State some problems. They figured it out pretty quickly, and Notre Dame had no counter punches, and they couldn't stop them. Right. Yep. Offensively, Oklahoma State could not stop Notre Dame early, but they figured it out, counterpunched and Notre Dame had no answers. Right. So it's not just the game plan and the preparation. You also have to have a ability to adjust and adapt and make changes and, and have a gut feel for certain things in games. You know, that sometimes don't make sense on paper. And I mean, I've shared some of those stories where it's like based on the coverage they play, we should not have been able to run this play but i just felt the way that they were playing it we could do this but you really felt it that way right cuz you're in the box and you see it it's different than when you're seeing on film like i see this safety and he when he does this man you know i feel like he's going to he's coming cuz you see more of the body language and things in between plays you don't see in an all 22 cut up that you really can't see until you get there during the game Saying, so, you know i didn't think we could run this play this week in this look but i think we can now and then you draw it up and you bam you go That's what great play callers can do. It's not just the preparation. I think that Jared Parker is good at preparation and planning. We've seen that. I think we saw that as part of an assistant coach. How's that going to mean for the play caller? I don't know. But the expectation is get the job done. You're 42 years old. You've been coaching for a long time. You played in the SEC. If you got the chops, get the chops. Just like the expectations for Clark Lee in 2018 were to to lead a great defense. And he did. And that's the expectations for Jared Parker. Uh, Will he be able to live up to those? We're going to start finding out here in about eight days, Ryan. But yeah. my expectations are that he that he goes out there and gets it done. I mean, he's a rookie play caller to a degree, but he's a 42 year old head coach that's been coaching the Power Five level for over a decade. You know, he's not a spring chicken. You know, he's not Tommy Reese taking over in nineteen in 2019 at the age of 27. Right. So my expectations are that he's going to figure it out pretty quickly. It may take a couple games to really get into into his groove you know, but he should figure it out pretty quickly. By the time they get to NC state, he better have the answers. I'll say that, but I actually am excited about what Jared Parker is going to be this year. I, I don't know why. I just have a a feeling he's going to end up being a pretty good, pretty good play caller when it's all said and done.
1: I'm very hopeful. I mean, I I think that the only things I expect is that I expect there to be a lot more RPO into the offense. I expect that there may be a little bit more opportunity to push the ball down the field. And I expect that there's going to be more run game diversity as far as how it meshes. How good it is, how not great it is, I, I have no idea. Those expectations are something that I'm going, I'm looking forward to finding out, but I expect more RPO. I expect more shots. I expect run game diversity. And that's a starting point, right? Because that was some of the stuff that was a little stale about the offense last year. And I think things that you need to a- acclimate a little bit more to. So I'm hopeful, very hopeful. Good question, Weiss, by the way. If you could that was a change... really good question, by the way. I, I enjoyed that one, yeah. If you could have changed the championship format, how would it look? I would go back to no playoff, personally. I like playoff. Pers- I like playoff.
2: I have said before, I think that there's great elements to every different thing that we've done in the past, right? With the exception of, uh, as far as format-wise. I didn't like the BCS point system. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when bowl games decided championships, I liked that. I also like a 14 team playoff. So what yeah. I have always said is I would like to see them go to Play get the bowl tie-ins back to where they were, you know, with the conferences and things like that. Play the bowl games, then pick your four. That's what I would like to see. Then pick I think your bowl four games
1: matter again. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's yeah. so like, look, you, dude, you can't. You if you're a Big Ten team, you can't play for the championship unless you, you unless you win the Rose Bowl, right? Like, sure. you know, because like you could see a team that's seventh, Ryan, and depending on how things go, that and this is the point that I made. If you're the seven team and you play the two team. And you pull off an upset. You just went up at least one spot. But now that fan base is watching every other bowl game that has a team ranked ahead of them that matters. And now all of a sudden, you know, these, these things matter again, right? Where it's not just the Notre Dame and Oklahoma State fans watching that bowl game, right? Because Notre Dame's number five. Oklahoma State was number six, I believe, going to that game. The winner of that game in that format has a chance to go out and be a playoff team. So now not only are Notre Dame and Oklahoma State fans watching, but teams who are number seven or number three or whatever are also watching that game to see how it impacts their team. I think it'd be great for ratings. And then you, you pick your four, you start 10 days later and then your semifinal, you have your semifinals 10 days later. Then a week after that, you have your title game. That that's what I would do. If it was up to me, that's what I would do. Um, I think that'd be a great way. Cause like you said, bowl games now matter again. Conference tie-ins matter again. Winning your conference championship matters a lot more now, right? And so, you know, if you lose your conference championship, now you've got to play some at-large game against a conference champ, and you better win it to have a chance. I, I think it makes more teams eligible for the for the playoff without expanding to 12 because I have in my lifetime I have never seen a year where the 12 teams had a legitimate chance to win a championship in the same season. I've never seen it. So, so why are we wasting our time with five, six teams that have zero shot at getting in? But now there's six, seven, eight teams that would potentially have a shot, most likely really six or seven, that would have a shot to get one of those four spots coming out of the bowl games, depending on how they go. So that's what I would do. And I think that'd be a great format, just personally, Ryan.
1: I'd be down for that because I I miss when bowl season mattered. Right. I mean, that was like some of my favorite like times growing up. It was like the... You know, near Christmas time, they would have like all the old bowl clips of like the games when it actually mattered and stuff. And it was very missed. It's been very missed mm-hmm. in my end.
2: But see, that's the rub, though. Right, Ryan? I love bowl games, but I also like the playoff. Like sure. I, I I do. So how can we make both of them important? And I don't think making right. the bowl games semifinal games does it for me. It just it just doesn't do it for me. You know, it's like because it's like when Notre Dame played Alabama in the Rose Bowl in Atlanta, that wasn't the freaking Rose Bowl, man. Like it, it it wasn't the same thing. It was a playoff game. Like I forget like, oh, Notre Dame played in the Cotton Bowl in 2018. I'm like, man, it's been a long time since Notre Dame played in the Cotton Bowl. And I'm like, no, it's 2018. But it wasn't the Cotton Bowl to me. It was a playoff game. Right. Right. It just doesn't have the same impact for me. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I think that would be a great way to 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 make them both matter again. I I really do. I really do. Let's get to uh, another one from, from Gabe.
1: Gabe says Notre Dame has started to recruit Texas much better recently. What other regions do they need to start tapping into more players from Georgia and Florida never hurt. In my opinion, you're, you're starting to see the Georgia push, especially in 2024. I mean, they have, I mean, I know they lost a commitment from Isaiah Canyon, but you still have Cole Mullins. You still have Anthony Knapp. I mean, they're starting to tap into Georgia, Florida, in 2025, you're literally your only two commitments in 2025 are from the state of Florida. So I think tapping into those pipelines, Georgia is one of the pipelines that I definitely want Notre Dame to tap into more. Getting Florida players, recruits that can fit the culture, I think is fantastic. Tapping into California occasionally. I mean, Notre Dame has done that, though, so that's like something, not something super new. But I think you hit on a couple, game. I think Georgia is a big one for me that Notre Dame needs to continue to tap into. because Georgia's putting out a lot of talent recently, man. Whole lot. And Ryan,
2: you and I have talked in the past. I mean, you got to you, – St. Louis is the one that I think can be really yep. good to Notre Dame. It's just St. Louis isn't always going to be filled with Jeremiah Loves and Christian Grays every year. It just, sure. It's just – it's going to still be a little bit hit or miss. Texas is going to be good every year. Georgia's is going to be filled up every year. Uh, Louisiana is an interesting one, Ryan, that I'm, I'm curious if Notre Dame – because there's a very heavy Catholic population down there that's very Catholic yeah. – uh, you know, we've seen them land some kids from down there. Lawrence Keys, Jerry Tillery, Jaden Alsbury. That's one that I'd be curious about. But yeah, I think Georgia and the Carolinas are areas they're already hitting. The Carolinas is big for Notre Dame too, especially North Carolina. That's a really important yeah. one. And then just keep locking down your base areas. Still have success in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, all those. But yeah, I, yeah. I like the Georgia one. I, I just, I like the East Coast, Ryan. I think it's a very important area from, from Virginia on down to Georgia, you gotta be. You gotta be careful with Florida. I mean, you just. You know, you're gonna find your Justin Thurman's and Davion Dixon's. Justin Thurman being a super high academic kid. Davion Dixon is not a lifer in in Florida. Neither is Justin Thurman. I mean, neither right. of those kids are. I mean, Justin Thurman is more St. Louis than he is Florida. He lived more of his life in St. Louis than he did in Florida. And, and
1: Sean Savolano is a Canadian, so right. he's not a lifer. Right, so Florida either. Yeah, so. it's a
2: little bit. You gotta be careful down there. Um, but yeah i think the east coast that virginia down to i still would love to see them have more success in the dc catholic school area for some reason i just it's okay. weird they just can't get attraction in there they're trying i mean ryan you you know this they're trying yeah
1: yep st francis just, and it's yeah. been a bunch yep there are
2: yeah. but just, just hasn't worked just can't get that I traction
1: bet. hopefully they can JP Bulesfeld says, what do you enjoy most proud of what Irish breakdown has become in two years? What is your greatest challenge see coming two years ago?
2: Did, okay. So what is your greatest challenge you see coming two years ago? Um,
1: You saw it's coming two years ago. I guess what you thought was coming. I don't know.
2: Yeah. So in the last two years, what what is the biggest thing is just Ryan and you, you know, this, it's just the community that we've built. I mean, that's the, been the bit, that's the thing I'd hoped I could build, but uh, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Like I knew how to break down games. I knew how to talk football, but you know, can you really build a community? I had some ideas on how that might work, but it was kind of an experiment to a degree, you know, and, and I know some people don't like it, uh, but we're just going to keep doing it that way on the message board and the the different things we've done. I think the things that I'm most proud of also Ryan is we've taken chances. We've done things. People say you can't do, you shouldn't do. Hey, I literally had 10 conversations with people about whether or not to start a YouTube channel. And I had one person tell me I should do it. Everybody else said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And now you look at it, we make we make more money now off of the, our podcast than we made our entire thing two years ago. Right. And um, you know, so, so those chances, it's like there's risk involved. I have a wife to take care of, you know what I mean? Like if I'm taking risks and it doesn't work. You have a wife and two kids to take care of, right? Like there's a lot of pressure on those things, especially now that I have employees. But it's just, um, and that's the challenge too, Ryan, is right. is like, you just can't get set in your ways. like, okay, we're here now. uh, And you take it for granted. You always got to be thinking, okay, how can we make it better? And sometimes the things you do that you think are going to make it better, don't. And what's, you know, does it hurt you or not? So I think the biggest challenge also, Ryan, besides that, is just the uncertainty of the college football world and how will that impact the things that we're doing? You know, I I think the unforeseen things that could happen economically that could have a great impact on what we're doing that are outside of my control. Like when I started Irish Breakdown in 2019, my biggest concern was not, I'm really concerned about a global pandemic shutting down sports in five months. That wasn't on my radar. You know what I mean? So it's like, you can't really prepare for that. What's your global pandemic lockdown plan for your business, Ryan, just in case that happens. Like that wasn't something I was thinking about. Well, you have it and now. I have it now. Yeah. It's, 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 but it, you know what it is? It's have a great community of people that just like being around each other, even when there's not things to talk about, you know? So I think that's been the greatest accomplishment is, you know, we pray for each other. You know, we, we, people have st- asked for help and and this community steps up and helps every single time. And it's just, man, it's just, and it's people from different political backgrounds, different sexes, different geographical breakdowns, different races. And it's like, but there's things that unify us. It's a love for Notre Dame and a respect for each other. And it's the best part about, it. that's what makes it kind of worth it every day. Cause Ryan, you know, there's, there's days like, I do not want to do a show today. I don't want to write an article today, but you know, there's a group of people that depend on you. And that's why more often than not you step up and you answer the bell. Cause you want to be part that, that that's my good part of my day. The fun part of my day. It's, it's that it's, it's driving over to Chicago last night and walking in and people young coach D like, you know, I've been listening to you forever long. And you're like, these people have never met me. They don't know me, but you know, we're out there doing it. You know, Vince goes out and he'll just be randomly have people come up and talk to him. I B nation. It's just like, it's a family. And for me, it is. And, and for Vince, it is, you know, I don't, I don't know if where Ryan and Sean Styers are in that regard, but that's been the greatest accomplishment. Cause I, you know, Vince sent me a text message the other day from 2020 where we had a hundred subscribers on our YouTube channel. And now we're creeping up on 15,000. That's in three years. You know, like that's been the cool part just to see this community grow the way that it has has been a lot of fun. And, you know, challenges are just, I want to build the staff more that there's risk in that, you know, and, and, and making sure hiring the right people, you know, that's a big, that's an important thing. A bad hire can set you back. And it has to me before. I mean, I I made bad hires from a recruiting standpoint before I got Ryan, and those set you back a little bit. So, those are the challenges. How do we properly grow within the framework that I've run the business so far, which is, you know, you you don't spend what you don't have. You don't, I don't take out loans. I'll do all that kind of stuff. So, that can limit how quickly you can grow sometimes. But to me, it's it's the best way to do it. And so, for me, anyway, Ryan, that's where I'm at uh, with with what this company is, has become. And I always want, I knew, I i knew it would be a success if I could just stick with it. And that's the other part is I have a great wife that has allowed me to still do this even when times got tough. And, uh, that's a big part of it as well. It is yep.
1: need a support system, man. There's no yep. doubt about that. Yep. No doubt.
2: So thank you for that question. Appreciate that.
1: Jay Clampett Investments. Brian and Ryan, in years past, you have been to practice. What's the best team you have seen? How does this team stack up? The only team I saw in practice was last year, so I'm not a great person to ask that yeah.
2: question. Well, for me, the, I don't know if they're the best team because I haven't seen them play yet. All I can do is compare them from a talent standpoint. And what I will say is this team does not have the top-end talent that the 2015 team had. And that team had Will Fuller, Jalen Smith, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, and you just knew they were dudes. I mean, you knew they were dudes. Kavari Russell, you that team had some guys who just like, these are these are dudes. These are special athletes, right? This team doesn't have as many known those knowns of that. Now, there may be guys Ryan, that emerge as those players, but like you knew going into 2015, Jalen was special. You knew Quentin Nelson was had a chance to be good. You, but you knew Ronnie Stanley was great. You knew that that Sheldon Day was a was a dude. You knew that certain. I mean, you saw Mike McGlinchey light up LSU in the the, the bowl game the year before in his first career. So, like, there were just a lot of known commodities on that team. This year doesn't have as many of those elite known commodities. What this team has, however, is way deeper team from a talent standpoint far more depth of talent like you take will fuller off that 2015 football team and they're way different team i mean love chris brown but i think you'll admit Ryan, chris brown was an unsung guy from a complimentary role standpoint yeah you don't plug him into will fuller's role and he replaces will fuller
1: no he's a complimentary receiver. right
2: and, and amir was very similar to that so uh, this team is probably the deepest team that I've seen Notre Dame have, but a lot of that depth is young still. And that's where some of the uncertainty about this team can really be. There's still a lot of unknowns about this team. Sure. But it's one of the most talented teams I've ever seen. Now, keep in mind, I did not cover Notre Dame in 2012. So I can't tell you what that team looked like in practice and what kind of heart they had and all that stuff. I watched them from afar like y'all. But the only other team that I remember that has this combination of, of, of physicality and And athleticism and depth is it's it's the best I've seen in that regard but it's going to need star power to be a team that's as good as some of those teams right right and I don't know that we like we don't do we really know that Notre Dame has a star on offense at a skill position do we really know that Audrick can be but he hasn't proven that he's a star yet maybe maybe last year's the best that he's going to be right we 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 don't know Uh, do we know who the star is on defense Benjamin Morrison probably is that guy. That's really it. We think there's a lot of guys that could be, but yep. they're not there yet. We think Xavier Watts can be a star, but he's not there yet. You know, sure. we we think some of the linebackers are going to be much better, but they got a lot to prove. We think Riley Mills could be that guy. We think Jordan Bill could be that. We think Tobias, Tyree, all that. There's still a lot of unknowns about this team, but just from a just God-given ability, this is the deepest Notre Dame team I've ever seen. And again, 2010 is when I started covering the team in person, because the question was about being at practice. Yeah. So I well, wasn't at the Lou Holtz team's practices. I wasn't there. I can only tell you from 2010 on, with having not seen 2012, this is the deepest from a from a talent standpoint I've ever seen Notre Dame. But there's also a lot of questions that the sure. I mean you, you, the 2015 had questions too, long, But it had a lot more no. We know that this guy can do this. This team has a little bit fewer of that, in my opinion.
1: Wyatt's Kerwin says, which player do you think will lead the defense in one tackles for loss, two sacks, three interceptions, four force fumbles.
2: So tackles for loss, Ryan, who's your pick? Jordan Batelho. Agree. Sacks. Jordan Batelho. Agree. Riley Mills would be my second pick. Interceptions. Benjamin Morrison. I'm going Xavier Watts. I don't think Benjamin Morrison's going to get t- t- targeted enough. And then force fumbles. This is an interesting one.
1: Because they were not very good at that
2: last year. I wrote an article today about this, Ryan. And, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the numbers. I'm I'm also saying this so you have time to think about your answer. But Notre Dame's lack of disruption last year wasn't just the tackles for loss and sacks. I I did some more data and research when I was putting this article together. Notre Dame ranked 81st in forced fumbles. only had eight. And they ranked 106th in fumble recoveries which meant they didn't put the ball on the ground very often and when they did they didn't recover it. <laughs> so they were 99th in fumble recovery per, uh percentage which is the number of recoveries that you have of the balls that were for, fumbles that were forced. They were 100 they were 99th. Right? So this is not this is not a very disruptive football team. They only had eight all of last year. Yeah. And so to me that's something that they're going to have to get a lot better at in my opinion if they're going to be that kind of big time defense. So I mean, you only had you had and nobody had more than one. Last year, Ryan. That's the other thing. Like nobody yeah. had more than one. So um, like Fosky uh, had six the year before. Remember that? No. Like that was okay. Was crazy. Crazy yeah. number.
1: I, I'd pick. probably go Xavier Watts. I feel like Xavier okay. Watts is going to be to you know second to the party on a lot of plays coming from depth, right? So he's gonna be able to punch the ball out a little bit when guys are secure, and I think he kind of plays with that. I'll just call it reckless abandon because I don't think it's quite to that degree, but he plays mm-hmm. with a lot of that energy that I could see him creating yep. a lot of plays like that. So I'll give him the force fumbles.
2: I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction, Ryan. And I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I've thought about a couple defensive linemen or I mean, or linebackers. I know Jack Kaiser had a couple two years ago. I'm going Jordan Patejo though, because if he is the pass rush, we think he is, I could see him having two or three. Strip knock socks. the ball out of the quarterback hand type of place this sure. year uh if i can't if i had to pick a non defensive lineman i think i'm gonna go jack kaiser i think the way that they u- are going to use him this year is a downhill attack the football guy he's going to be arriving at handoffs he's going to be arriving at a at a you know a, a situation where he's just going to be hitting the guy as soon as he get the ball and it's going to knock it out so i'm going to go jack kaiser as my number two since you took xavier because i think Xavier's a good one as well ryan it's a very good one as well
1: Next question is from Archer it says, Which part of the team are you most confident in and what part concerns you the most?
2: Corner and running back, one on each side of the ball is my Offensive confidence, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Offensive tackle, corner. If you're going to zero it
2: into a part of a unit. Yes, I would agree with that on offense. Yeah. Which I'm doing on defense. It's not a criticism. Sure. I'm doing that on defense with corners, mm-hmm. not the secondary. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I would go there. I would, I, the only reason I don't say offensive tackle, Ryan, is because I, I think that's less injury-proof than running back. That's my only hesitation. But if, if I knew that, the, that, that, that nobody was going to get injured, offensive tackles are hard one not to take. I just still worry about the depth a little bit. What am I
1: most – What part? which part most concerns me? Safety depth and distru- and the disruption. Offensively, it would be the tight end room for me. Guard is the one for me. Guard's my biggest concern right now is
2: is because if they if they can't good, good, get good play there, then the offensive line's not going to be as good as it needs to be in my view. So that that's my real that's my big one. Scarred. The, the reason I, the reason I wouldn't I I get where you're coming because they've already had injuries at tight end. Yep, you've got another guy that can't come back. You're an injury away from Cooper Flanagan's your number two pure tight end. Now you've got David Sherwood, but he's more of an H back fullback type of guy. Yep, I just feel like if you if you're thin there. I you go more 20, 20 personnel sure. or 10 personnel, I guess. Uh, whereas offensive tackle, it's not like you can take a tackle off the field. That, that would be right. my only thing there, but yeah, tight end because, because you're, it's been such a dependent part of your system, your team for so long. It's hard to think about, could they thrive without that being such a big part of what they're doing? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. I, I I'm with you on that. And It's an unproven group still, Ryan. I mean, they've got four career five career catches in that room right now. If guys
1: are healthy, it's not a lot. No. Just saying, it's not a lot. We had a question from Fighting Mike 87, who says, Chip Long loved hitting a corner route early in the game to open up the defense. What could you see being Notre Dame's offensive play calling card to jump for jump starting an early possession in 2023? Uh I have no idea. We need to wait and see. I really don't
2: I know. For me, it'd be like you know, kind of like a play action double post to play, which we saw in the spring. I, I think that's a concept that they're going to like. You know, they're going to run more overs and stuff this year, Ryan. I think those could be one. That's also something Chip Long liked to go to in twenty seventeen, is run sort of that play action and that that deep over type of stuff that we would see from like Equinemius and the tight ends. I think those would be ones, and then I think what you're also going to see is just be willing to take shots. I, mean, I think that's going to be a big part of it, too. It's like, hey, you got a one-on-one out there. We're going to get the offense going, but we're not going to try it out. Thank you. Your corner's 5'11". Tobias is 6'4". Sam Hartman's a great deep ball throw, and your, and your free safety is standing right over top of my center, and we're on the far hash. take right. a shot. Right? Hit one of those. you would only got to hit a couple of those for the defense to say, well, we can't keep doing this, you know? And so I think that'll be part of it too. Cause sometimes Ryan, a jumpstart's gotta just be a, I gotta trust my dudes better than your dude. Right. I mean, you just, you've got to be able to have that to a degree. Right. And yeah, hopefully they'll have that. That's more of a wishful thinking than anything else, to be honest with you. And let's go last, we got this one and then we're going to get, got two more and then we're going to go, there's a four parter that I want to get to. Ryan.
1: Okay. How are we feeling? And this is from Lucas C. How are we feeling about special teams overall? How do you feel about the kicking game?
2: Kicking game, I'm actually a little bit more confident in it this year than I am last year from a place kicking standpoint. I think I think that uh, Spencer Schrader is going to be a, a a little bit more accurate than Blake Grupey was. They both had great legs. I think Spencer Schrader has an even better leg, which is saying something. Uh, it'll be a little bit more accurate. I, I don't. I'm concerned about the consistency at punting. Because Bryce McPherson's a young kid, but Ryan, he has a cannon for a leg. When he gets yep. into it, it's going to go. My my fear is I don't want the next Tyler Newsom. Like If you look at Tyler Newsom's career numbers, he had a great punting average because he'd boom a 70-yarder, but then the one before was 25. Well, right. 70 plus 25 is still a really good punting average, Ryan, but it's not good punting. Yeah. And and that that's you just don't want that. And since he's a young guy, that's a bit of an unknown. From an overall special team standpoint, I want the return game to get better, especially
1: kick return game. That's got to get better,
2: in my yeah, opinion. Kick return
1: game was really bad last year. Yeah, and no one talked about it that much.
2: Yeah, because they were yeah. so excited about you know how good the pump block situation was. There's several aspects of the special teams last year that weren't that good. Yeah, that need to get better. And so yeah. you could see them only get two or three block punts and be a much better special teams unit this year. And I hope that that's what we see. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the return game is going to be interesting. Like you don't put Chris Tyree back there. If you're just trying to just field punts, I, that doesn't make sense. Right.
1: Agree.
2: You know, so it tells me that they're, they're going to try to, they want to break some stuff this year. I, I don't, I, I mean, what would be the justification for having Chris Tyree back there, Ryan, if if you weren't trying to make big plays?
1: Yeah, I, you, you're I gonna tell me <laughs> has the best hands
2: of anybody that could potentially return a punt? I I don't
1: think that's true. Yeah, uh, you would just put Jaden Greathouse back yeah. there if that was or, your... or Matt
2: Salerno. I mean, if you're just yeah. trying to field it, so the, the I think they're they're gonna try to be more aggressive this year. We'll we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Here's here's one Ryan that I'm I'm gonna ask because I want to get your opinion on this. I've I've kind of talked about this before, but it says if uh, Indie Football Nurse says Braylon James earns the trust of the coaching staff to get 10 snaps versus Clemson in a healthy wide receiver room, what does this offense look like during the bowl season?
1: I mean, what does it look – I mean, it looks like an offense that we're expecting with Braylon James's deep ability, right? Like he's just going to mesh and there's going to be some plays that are going to be designed for stretching vertically maybe a little bit differently than what you would originally anticipate. Like instead – I mean – Brother James is one of those guys that could just literally run a go by most guys, right? Yep. Like he doesn't go need to post a double over. Move. He it. doesn't like, he just yeah. needs to run. So I just think that that implementation is a part of it, but I don't think it nec- I wouldn't say necessarily it, like changes your offense a ton. If we're talking about 10 snaps, right? Like 10 snaps is just 10 snaps out of the 60 plus that you're going to run in a football game. So I think it's just a dynamic that it brings to the offense.
2: I think what the, the, I think what John was saying here, Ryan, is if he gets 10 snaps versus Clemson, then when you get into bowl season, the projection of him being even more in line. I I think okay. I, right. I tend I tend to agree with Ryan's point. I think it, what it adds is it adds another game breaker. Yeah. And, you know, we saw that that can be an impactful thing. We saw that with we were just talking about this right with Chris Brown. Chris Brown didn't play a whole lot in 2012. He only caught two passes, but one of them, he just was going to use his speed. He's going to run a post route like that. There was no read on that play, Ryan. It was a play action, throw the post to Chris Brown that was it. That was the read, you know, and, and Braylon could be that kind of guy. And so I think it gives you just another playmaker. It doesn't, it doesn't change your offense, Ryan. You're not going to, it's not like to your point, it's not going to structurally change your offense, but what it does is it just gives you another weapon. That's really what it does. And, and I, and I would say this, Ryan, and 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 I'm curious if you agree with this, it's great to have big time go-to players. And, And I would like to have that, But the counter to that is maybe you don't have that one guy. But if I got six or seven dudes that are capable of breaking out at any moment, it makes me less slump proof. Because I feel like every week somebody's going to step up and be that guy. Where like if at Georgia, you know, if if Brock Bowers goes down this year, what are they going to look like? You know, like there's guys there, but like you lost Arnell, you you know, you lost to A.D. Mitchell. You're going to have some players, but it's like, you know, I'm curious how that's going to look. Now, if some of the young receivers start stepping up for Georgia and, you know, this young, talented guy steps up and, you know, Tyler Williams is able to help out as a freshman, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to be okay even though Brock went down because if you – or if you take Brock out of the game because I've got more weapons. Well, same thing here at Notre Dame. The more weapons you have, the more slump-proof you become because you're not going to have seven guys that suck all at one time, most likely, if if they're good. You may have that if they're just not that good. Sure. You know, like there were times in 2017 when all the receivers sucked in the same game because there's only a couple of good ones, and if those guys didn't play well, you were in trouble. Yeah, but uh, I I just think it gives you just more weapons and more things to to focus on. Yeah,
1: I I just think the ability to create big plays allows you to get out of trouble. Right, like that's yeah. my biggest thing is that like you could be having an off day the entire game, but then you have one big play that just completely reverses your fortunes. So yeah. you need those guys that are kind of uh, I guess negators of slumps to your point like yeah yeah
2: so ryan here's the this last one this is a four-parter okay so this is what we're gonna end with
1: chris hawk says i want to give chancy S? stucky chancy stucky a fair chance but i've been a little underwhelmed by his training methods and i truly believe it's not creating optimal results too cute for me i live in columbus and i've been that's brian Hartline. I've, I've seen. Oh, sorry. I've seen Brian Hartline uh, train, teach, and install mindset to his players on another level. They're technicians, and he reps details over and over and react off muscle memory. I feel like Chancey Stuckey has these players thinking too much and not playing fast. Not enough game speed. Game simulated drills that correlates to game situations. Chancey Stuckey reminds me a little bit of the quarterback gurus that get over-creative and experimenting, but that's just from every clip I could find from the Notre Dame wide receivers and the players' body movements language. Example, I have no doubt in my mind that Deion Coley would be an elite wide receiver under Brian Hartline. Am I off?
2: I think so. I, yeah. I mean, l- let's not act like every single receiver that Brian Hartline has ever coached was a great, dominant player i mean jamison williams didn't become that guy till he left
1: ohio state
2: and you could say well he julian, was built
1: that way and you know julian fleming also hasn't really turned out to the yeah
2: you could say you know injuries maybe but like they've had plenty of guys that just ended up not being the players that people thought they were going to be and it's not related to injuries and you know, he's not this perfect coach that everybody he has is a phenomenal player that's just that's not practical and also it's a very system driven situation as well and, and let's not act like he wasn't dealing with, you know, you didn't need to be a rocket scientist to make Garrett Wilson a really good college receiver. Sure. So uh, what I would say is I think that you're Chris, you're look, the premise of the question is fair. If a co- coaches can get too cute and do all that kind of stuff. And that's a big criticism I've had of, of coaches in the past. You can do make two mistakes. One is you just do the same stuff every day and you're not really learning. The other thing is that you, Get too cute, and that's my when so Mike Sanford was just doing stuff like he would see at camps or clinics, and he it wasn't really practical, and I didn't think it it mattered. I, I'm just telling you when I watched their Dame receiver practice, no, receivers practice, they do a lot of different isolation type of stuff where we're isolating this part of building on it, and it's going to lead to this. I think what you're reacting to is like the video where they're hopping off of one foot, and what you're understanding is is everyone's focusing on the hopping off of one foot. That's not relevant to the drill. The hopping off of the one foot is the way that you start the drill in order to better simulate a top end. And so what a lot of people do is they will simulate a top end on a curl. You either can run the full route or you just shorten the route, but you're coming out of your stance. That's not really practical because you're not going to run three steps out of your stance. So what he's doing is getting on the, getting in that running stance and then quickly come out of it, bam, top end, we're working on the top end that's what he's doing as opposed to having them run an entire stop route or an entire comeback route. And so people look at this, Ooh, look at this off one leg thing. And you're like, no, no, that's not the point of the drill. The point of the drill is what comes after that, which is the coming out of that running stance. So it's basically like freezing them in midair and then getting them out of it. And bam, I'm getting my top end, drive your hips and that kind of thing. I think that's actually kind of practical to be honest with you. But if people are describing it as like this thing and it's like, that's not really the point of the drill, uh, then I, then I look and and look, I'm, I'm as high on Deion Colsey as anybody, Ryan, you know, that, yep. but Chancy Stucky's not the reason Deion Colsey has bad body language of practice. That's a right. Deion Colsey thing. You know, dion has got to step up and say, Hey man, like, look, I'm not, I'm not saying he's blaming anyone. I'm just in theory, you know, it, it, how a guy has to be. I'm Hey, look, I'm, I'm a junior now. I know what the offense is. I know what the expectations are. I know what the work level I need to do. I need to go out and do it. We Ryan, you see it all the time watching NFL draft. There's guys that come out of schools where like I know that coach isn't that good of a coach because he's never producing, but that kid's just really good because that kid takes pride in it. I mean Avery Davis sure. talked about how he learned how to run routes by watching freaking YouTube videos. If you want to be great at something and you work at it, you can be. You can if you have the ability, you can get there. You know I, I've seen this receiving core improve a lot over the last year from where they and they were starting at the bottom from a technical standpoint, Ryan. So, uh, as of right now, I, I have no problem with what I see. I see the drills they do in practice. I see the different things they work on. They did things that I did, you know, where you work on catching low balls and getting it up and you know, things like that, that are practical, that a lot of people miss. You've got to do those things, but there's also things they do every day, catching a ball back shoulder, stuff like that, that I also like as well. So I, I don't think his guys are thinking too much because of what he's asking them to do. I think they were thinking too much last year because they were also dang young. Yeah. And it was a very complex pass offense. That's always been the issue with Brian Kelly and young, young players. And Tommy Reese is a very similar guy. It's a very complex system assignment-wise. And so they were thinking too much. I think that some of that's been eliminated. And I think a lot of the emphasis is, oh, well, the receivers are doing this and this and this. Well, it's because they're going against Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart every single day. Sure. But I like where they're at. We're going to find out, though, Chris, real soon. We're going to find out over the next month if I'm right or wrong. And if they're not playing fast and they're not making plays and they're not winning, then we're going to say, hey, maybe he's not doing enough to focus on these things they keep getting beat on. Yeah. Uh, I just I think it's more of just they're going against a really good unit that's going to make each other better. And it's a building process. It's building blocks. You're not going to look with a bunch of young freshman and sophomore receivers. You're not going to look like seasoned grizzled vets in the eighth practice of fall camp. It's But where do you get to once the season starts? And it's not a coincidence that the last day of fall camp, we saw the receivers make a lot of plays against the DBs in those one-on-ones. It's not a coincidence because that's been what they're building to. And offense always takes longer to get to that point. Than the defense does, especially when you're dealing with returners versus corners are two returners that's played all year last year, right? Against Tobias Merriweather, who caught one pass, and Jaden Thomas, who's moving outside after playing in the slot all year last year. If they weren't ahead of the receivers, we've got big problems. Big problems this year early in fall camp. So um I think the I think what you're saying, Chris, is is possible. Coaches will do that. That's just not what I've seen from Coach Stuckey at this yeah. point in time in practice. That's my two cents. And I've seen a unit, Ryan, that has gotten better and better and better the longer they've played for him. At least that's how, from what you could see, was that not what you saw last year?
1: Yeah, they were a lot unit? better technically. Yeah, they are a lot better technically. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, like, I care, like, when the live reps happen, or are those things translating to right. it, right? Like, even if they're not winning reps, like, if let's say it's a catch point ball where Benjamin Morrison just outplays a player, like, was the release good? Was the... Right. You know, was, was he consistent with his pacing? Like there's a lot of things that you can get out of those live reps. So I don't like to hyper-focus on individual reps too much. Is it translating to the actual game process? Right. For me.
2: Cause one-on-one reps at a seven on at a, at a summer camp is geared towards a wide receiver. It is. sure. is one-on-one reps for a college football team are geared towards defensive players. Just the way that the way that Notre Dame does it, you know, the routes, you know, the releases, you know, you're not able to do all the cheating stuff that you do at the summer camps, right? I mean, we'll see this stuff on film. You're like, yeah, that's a really sick route and great athleticism, but he took nine seconds to get there. (laughs) And so it's like, it doesn't translate. I think the translation thing that Ryan talked about is key. So Chris, I want to say, that's an incredibly thoughtful question, uh, which I appreciate. And I think we're all looking forward to finding out what that answer is going to be here over the next... um, the next couple months, because we're going to find out pretty quickly, Ryan. Yep. What this team is made of, we are. I agree. We are. So that's going to do it here, Ryan, for Friday mailbag, buddy. Why don't you take us out of here?
1: Want to thank everybody for a lot of great questions today. I have no idea how many we answered, but it was definitely a ton. So I want to thank all the listeners, all the people and members of the chat, IB Nation. Before you leave the Friday free for all mailbag, if you could please do us a favor. Hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform that you're listening to. If you're on YouTube, obviously on there as well. Make sure you hit that notification bell as also. And as we are only eight days away from college football and Notre Dame officially beginning, if you could please sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com as we continue to have excellent team and recruiting intel for you all as we inch closer and closer to the 2023 season. So that is Brian Driscoll. I am Ryan Roberts. I want to thank you all so much. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. (laughs)